0: Welcome to Jane Unchained, featuring best-selling author, TV journalist, and JaneUnchained.com founder, Jane Velez Mitchell. In the next few minutes, you'll hear a secret solution to the problems that plague our world. If you want to revolutionize your life, get truly joyful, and jump to the next phase of human evolution, all it takes is one simple choice. Now, here's your host, Jane Velez Mitchell. All right, welcome. And we are happy, joyous, and free. We
1: are introducing you to a new way of living. A new way of living that doesn't involve killing. It's going to save our health. It's going to save the planet. It's going to save the animals. And it's a heck of a lot of fun. We got an incredible... Incredible panel here today. We've got Dr. Silas Rao. He was instrumental in the development of the Internet, and now he has focused his attention on saving the planet, coming up with a methodology to switch to a plant-based culture by 2026. We've got Jean-Francois, and tell us your last name, sir. Nubel. Nubel. Name. Yes, and he is an expert in cryptocurrencies because we're going to need a new currency for our new system. We've got BJ, who is a, what, first grader? Re- retired teacher. A retired teacher who helped us break down the, the extraordinary white paper that Dr. Rao produced showing that animal agriculture is responsible for 87%. 87% of greenhouse gas emissions. So people... You know, they're pointing at the wrong suspect. They are pointing exclusively at fossil fuels, oil and gas, when the real culprit is animal agriculture, something everyone has the power to change simply by eliminating that from their diet, eliminating dead animals and dairy. So, um, Dr. Rao, I want to start with the white paper. Tell us how you came up with this white paper and the significance of this white paper.
2: Well, I came up with the white paper because you asked me to put it all down you know uh, at our um, solution summit and I realized i you know even though I had um all the data, I hadn't really put it down in on paper, so I thought I should um collect the arguments that we have and show why animal agriculture is the leading cause of climate change. We always knew that it's just that you know um just like in uh, in health the USDA keeps saying that you should be drinking milk you should be eating meat and we all know that's not true the, similarly the UN IPCC and the UN FAO have been telling us to eat consume animals because it doesn't cause as much climate change as you think and it's actually not true so we knew that it's just putting it together and thank you for asking me the question and th- thank you for in- making this happen
1: well i I am so blown away by your ability to do a white paper. I think you did it in like three weeks. And uh, so it's extraordinary. Now, BJ, the school teacher, helped us break it down. I'm going to read very quickly because I've got it here on my computer. The four four miscalculations that the IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, has made. Four big boo-boos. Four big mistakes that they have made. Okay, so let me read number one, and then I'm going to break it down in people terms, which is how the school teacher helped us do. Using total CO2 emissions instead of airborne fraction, which is 45%. Now, here's the people term breakdown of that miscalculation that is misleading the general public. The two biggest greenhouse gas contributors to climate change are carbon dioxide a.k.a. CO2, and methane, a.k.a. CH4. You never hear about CH4, do you? Okay, oil and coal are fossil fuels that produce CO2 when burned. Animal agriculture, on the other hand, produces methane gas through farm animals like cows. The public has been encouraged to focus on fossil fuels, even though CO2 from fossil fuels has less impact than methane from animals. Here's why. Scientists at the IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, count all CO2 as contributing to climate change, even though less than half of all CO2 remains in the atmosphere as a warming gas. Let me say that again, IPCC scientists count all CO2 as contributing to climate change, even though less than half of all CO2 remains in the atmosphere as a warming gas. That miscalculation means fossil fuels are being blamed for more than their fair share of climate change, while animal agriculture is not getting the attention that it warrants. Dr. Rao, can you explain the implications of that as far as science? And thank you for zooming in on Dr. Rao for this. Thank you for speaking up, sir.
2: Yeah, um, this miscalculation, basically, uh, on an annual basis, it puts the blame on fossil fuels much more than they deserve to be blamed. Overall, you know, the CO2 is the number one gas uh, that is causing heating, global heating. But that CO2 has been accumulated over years, over hundreds and thousands of years. So if you look at how much has been accumulated over thousands of years, you discover that land use is actually the number one reason for human-made CO2 emissions. And fossil fuels, all fossil fuel sources combined have caused less emissions than land use change. So, because of that, we now have the ability to suck that CO2 back on the ground by bringing back the forests that we cut to raise animals. And on an annual basis, the methane from uh, animal agriculture causes more global heating than the CO2 from all fossil fuel sources combined.
1: And one of the reasons why we ended up doing this white paper wasn't like I just had this genius idea. I was at the climate strike march Mm -hmm. and trying to get the word out about animal agriculture and I was repeatedly told to shut up. That was a direct quote. Be quiet, you be quiet, shut up, shut up. That's what I was told by numerous people. And so in frustration, I was like, oh my God. And I started crying And I I don't cry very often. I'm not a crier. In fact, I went to a course to learn how to cry. (laughs) Um, But I just got so depressed. I was like, if the climate people can't talk about climate change, we're done. We are done as a species because we've only got seven years left. And then what happened was I, I suddenly had this thought, like, the only way they can be forced to Look at the impact of animal agriculture as if we prove it's the leading cause, which I had already heard that I guess it was World Bank economists Mm -hmm. had proved that it was 51 percent. Nobody talks about the 51 percent anymore. The New York Times publishes articles that says 14.5 percent, that animal agriculture is responsible for 14.5 percent. So I was thinking of that 51 percent figure, and I said, if we can get that out there, then they're forced to look at it because that's most climate change. So then you then said, okay, I'll do a white paper. And you came up with 87%, which is, you know, mind boggling, because if that's true, and you have, don't take our word for us. You can go to climatehealers.org and click on white paper. It's right there. You can analyze the science for yourself. If you're a scientist, if you're an engineer, if you're anybody who just wants to do the math, it's right there. Now, I found it very hard to absorb all of it. So what I did was we worked on breaking it down. So we just broke down miscalculation number one. I'd like to take an opportunity to talk a little bit to BJ. BJ is a school teacher who um, knows how to break concepts down to their very simplest form. So BJ, thank you for speaking up. Tell us In your terms, this whole idea about they're counting all CO2 emissions instead of just the amount of CO2 that remains in the atmosphere.
3: Well, thank you, Jane. That was um, an amazing concept. I had no idea that the CO2 was miscounted at all. I knew that, that people were focusing on the carbon dioxide and the fossil fuels. And I knew they were ignoring the methane and the cows and the animal agriculture. But I didn't understand that the CO2 in the atmosphere was actually dissipating or being uh, brought down to the earth and and brought into the oceans and the land and that they should have only accounted for less than half. So I was amazed and felt like it needed to be in the paper, too. When he brought up that point and wrote it on the board, you know, it it was like, well, how do we explain this?
1: And you helped explain it. I want to go, and we've got a lot of, we're going to talk to you right after the first break, but um, I want to go to the second miscalculation by the IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. Averaging methane impact over 100 years, therefore diluting it when they should measure it over just a decade. Now, here's what you broke down as the people terms explanation of that miscalculation by government, um, many government scientists, this intergovernmental panel. Scientists are badly underestimating the impact of methane gas by using a flawed time frame of 100 years. They ignore the fact that methane decays into less harmful CO2 after only one decade. By stretching methane's impact over an entire century, they are diluting the damage methane does compared to CO2. It's like eating a whole cake in one day and then calculating the impact that cake would have on your body if you ate it over the course of a year. Okay? It's like eating a whole cake in one day and then saying, we're going to calculate the impact of that cake by measuring the impact it would have if you ate it over the course of the year. Obviously, if you ate it over the course of the year, it wouldn't have much impact. But if you eat a cake in one day... You're going to get a stomachache, okay? You're going to get fat immediately. You're going to put on calories. This is
3: can – you, can you just go into that one a little bit? Yes, I would love to. One of the things that people would say is that methane has less impact. So we don't pay attention to it. We have to pay attention to the CO2. And when it was brought to my attention that they're using the 100-year time frame, even in my mind I thought – why are we using 100 years? We only have 12 years. Even the IPCC said we only have 12 years or we're not going to be able to change this. So when I found out that it, it could be measured on the 10-year time frame, then I thought, why not? And so some uh, people said, well, that's just what the scientists do. Well, that's just what's easy for them. They could actually measure it on a 10-year time frame because, uh, and, and they need to do that. It's it's an error to try to measure something when we don't even know if we're going to be here. I mean, we have extinction on the plate here.
1: Now, Dr. Rao, if you could um, explain why you think they're doing this, and we're going to just allow a chance for our, our camera to come back closer to you because it's very hard to hear Dr. Rao. So scooch up, and uh, uh, we just want to make sure we get your words because your words are super important. Um and that, yeah, that green is on right on that mic, on the mic above there, yeah. Right there, yeah. Okay, tell us, Dr. Rao.
2: Yeah, see so, uh, I cannot say why they do it, but I know what they're doing is actually beyond eating a cake and, and uh, stretching its impact over a year. It's using the same excuse next week, to eat another piece, of, another big cake, and then saying, I'm gonna stretch it over a year. So you uh-huh. keep doing that over and over. This is horrible, right, for the planet. This is exactly what we are doing to the planet. And if we did that to ourselves, we'd be very, very sick. So that's what they're doing, you know. Uh, Stretching the impact of methane over 100 years reduces its its potency by a factor of five almost.
1: Okay, we have a caller. Is he still here? Dan from Georgia?
2: Yes, indeed.
1: Okay, uh, what's your question, sir?
2: I just wanted to ask what you would recommend
4: for... A person in local government on a city level in a small town in Georgia, how we can affect plant-based
2: positive change in um, day-to-day operations.
1: Okay, we have a caller from Georgia, Dan. He said, basically, um, if you're in a small town, let's say in Georgia, and you want to affect positive change, how do you do that? And uh, I, I personally would say, take matters into your own hands. Don't wait for government officials. You know, the, the government is part of the problem. They are the key part of the problem. And um, so I would start vegan meetups. I would, um, uh, you know, a lot of people feel very lonely. The last documentary I did was what came about because an editor in North Carolina who was vegan called me and he said, I feel so lonely. I have no vegans in my neighborhood. Uh, people mock me. I don't know what to do. I said, well, I'll put you to work right away. But... Um, It turned out that he did have uh, vegans, but he just didn't know them. So there are a lot of closet vegans all over the country, and they come in all stripes and all backgrounds. Conservative, liberal, young, old, people who have just woken up, and uh, they just need to know each other. So create a meetup at a restaurant um, make sure it has vegan options or that you can, you know, you can always eat a baked potato, even at a steakhouse. I've done that myself, baked potato in a salad with oil. And uh, just start meeting them. And then once you're together, you can brainstorm about what you can do. And then once you have a power base of a group, then you can go to your local community, as we did in uh, California and we demanded that, in fact, in, in L.A., we just demanded that all major government, local government institutions provide plant-based options. And they passed it. They passed it yesterday. So that was incredible. That was a huge thing. But until you have those, that power base of 100 people or 50 people or even 25 people, just going alone by yourself doesn't help. So that's what I would say. Get your Get your troops together, and then once you have your troops together, you can look at what other cities have done, and you can go in and say, look, these kids are fat, they're getting diabetes, they're getting cancer, they're getting um, all sorts of illnesses from this horrible fast food diet, and uh, we want plant-based options uh, in in the schools and elsewhere. It's happening across the country. What were you going to say, BJ?
3: Well, I was going to say one of the things I'm hoping to do in my town is to get my mayor to help show some of the videos. So at our library, we have community videos, and that's where we could show what the health, for example. And then I remember that there's another town that started having, uh, what do they call them, health fairs. And he brought in people who could speak and and it brought attention. Okay, we got one more caller, then
1: we'll take a break. James Madison from Phoenix, Arizona. What is your question or thought, James? Oh, yeah. Hey, can you hear me? Yeah. Okay.
5: Um, yeah, let's see. My question was, um, I was re- reviewing the white paper, and uh, it discusses that methane, um, there's like an averaging, that they average over like 100 years time frame Mhm. For comparing CO2 to methane. And they're saying, and then
1: the white paper is explaining that methane actually has a lot more impact than. James, I'm going to jump in because we actually have just been discussing that. Yes, the caller is asking about, well, yeah, they're saying that CO2 is the biggest problem when methane is the biggest problem. And, um, you know, we're talking, but explain the politics, Dr. Rao, before we go to the break.
2: Yeah, the politics is, you know, uh, animal agriculture is within our governments all over. I mean, the animal agriculture industry has infiltrated our governments. And so they are trying to change the story so that the story is not about them, but about something that people cannot do anything about. Fossil fuels, you, you know, pretty much cannot do anything about. You have to go to your job, you have to drive. So it's inconvenient, whereas if you, if you knew it was animal agriculture, everybody could change their diet. So the whole thing will collapse, right? So they and they are just trying to desperately keep that going, their industry going. I really think that's that's what it is.
1: Yeah, and also you can't really make money off of. Um, well, you can now. They're starting to take veganism seriously because of uh, Beyond Meat and Impossible Foods. So it's a money maker now, uh, and so now they're starting to consider it, but. If you don't get a disease, you can't make money off of curing it. Um, there's a lot of money, not just in feeding people bad food, but then getting them sick and then the whole healthcare institution. And I know when I, you know, on mainstream television, when I used to try to bring up health when we were talking about healthcare, they'd cut me off. We, no, no. Yeah, we we know you're vegan, but we're talking about the health care system. Well, well, wait a second. People wouldn't be sick. Our health care costs would be so much lower. Our tax dollars would be go down. We'd have more discretionary income. We'd have greater work productivity. And I want to thank uh, James from Phoenix, Arizona, for... Um, for uh, that call. We're going to take a short break here on Voice America Radio. We're going to stay live on Facebook, and when we come back, we're going to talk to an amazing Frenchman who has an entire new currency idea that will allow... uh, us to take free enterprise, essentially, but I want to, you can correct me, and make it something that is life positive, as opposed to making money off death, disease, and destruction. We could make money off of a wonderful, uh, or, or survive and thrive, I should say. Let's leave the word money out of We'd survive and thrive off of doing things that are good for the planet. So we'll be right back with that. Stay right there.
2: Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America.
0: Are you ready for provocative discussions with some of today's most powerful movers and shakers? Tune in to The Art of Significance featuring Dan Clark, the modern day Napoleon Hill, who interviews the wealthiest, most successful celebrities and business leaders on the planet who are using their influence to change the world. From authors to entertainers, sports figures, educators to military leaders, Dan covers multiple topics. Tune in every Monday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Influencers Channel. You are listening to Jane Unchained. To reach the show today, call in to one 472 5795 That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email in to News at gmail.com. Now back to the show. All
1: right, we are here on Voice America Radio simulcasting on Facebook talking about the white paper that Dr. Silas Rao, who has you know, a bio that goes a mile. We could spend an hour just talking about all the things he's done. Uh, please, no fiddling. Um, sorry about that. Sorry, didn't mean to uh, snap there, but we it's feedback. Anyway, so what we're doing is uh, we're talking about this white paper. And we're talking about, we boiled it down to people terms, where it was the miscalculations that the scientists are using, that all the media is using, there's miscalculations. We've covered two of them. Let's get to number three and four, and then we'll talk to uh, Jean-Francois. No? Yes. Okay. Not considering the opportunity cost of land use for animal agriculture. Here's how we boiled it down. Most forests are destroyed to create cattle grazing land. Let me say it again. Most forests on this planet are destroyed to create cattle grazing land. When forests do vanish... So does that piece of land's ability to cool the earth because trees absorb carbon dioxide and the trees are gone. So that cooling opportunity is lost. Over time, the absence of those trees means a continuous cause of climate change. So they're not counting that. Okay, so now the final one, because I want to make sure we get them all in, using raw data from the livestock industry through the UN FAO, Food and Agriculture Organization, And the way we sum that up, it's like getting your data from the tobacco industry to determine cigarettes' impact on health. So you can see how just incredibly biased the information we're getting is. And why is it that we're getting that biased information? Money. Always follow the money. This is multi-trillion dollar industries that we're talking about. I believe the pharmaceutical industry has more lobbyists than any other industry. Um, The meat and dairy industry has co-opted the USDA, the agriculture department. uh, The pharmaceutical industry has co-opted the FDA. So we're not even living in a capitalist society. We're living in a society that is corporate socialism, which brings us to money. Uh, Jean-Francois, tell us about your plan to try to allow people to survive and thrive while um, we... not destroy the planet and cheat a little bit so that there's the camera. We don't want to just get your profile. There's the camera right there. Okay. Thank you.
5: Well, first, um, we need to really understand how money works because money, by a, a physical law called the Pareto effect, Pareto, um, will condensate always in the hands of a few um... because of a law, not because of human greed and as long as we use this kind of currency called money which we've used uh, for any forms of pyramidal collective intelligence that means the societies we've known so far since the invention of the writing we've used those kinds of currencies that always concentrate in the hand of the few and that maintain power structures, top-down power structures always okay so we may want to question if we want to build a vegan economy can it work with the conventional money system? And I make a short answer here as a researcher in collective intelligence, and the answer says no, we cannot build a global vegan, vegan economy, and a fair economy where, you know, the flows of wealth will continue to forever and ever and ever without concentrating always in the hands of the few. We cannot make it with conventional money. No way it can, uh, it can work. So, we have different options. Um, the options that I want to work on, we want to work on building alternatives for people, if they want to to create other forms of uh, economies. Uh, So building a vegan economy means that we will not play anymore with the dollars or the euros or the yens or anything else. We can design new forms of currencies. Um, My point here, you see for many years uh, if you wanted for instance to print something you needed a big factory you even needed kind of governmental or power structure kind of uh, alliance to make this possible if you wanted to make a radio broadcast or a TV uh, channel you would also need like you know big buildings and hundreds of people working for you and now we can make a TV channel for ourselves if you wanted to build an economy and economic infrastructures you also needed Governments or banks or you know big infrastructures but now in the years to come we can create currency systems in our own and so what if we used the technologies that we have now the crypto technologies and the cryptocurrencies in order to build distributed economies because crypto technologies do those things we go they enable distributed infrastructures, distributed living system to exist that give us the power to do those things. So what if we started to create our own vegan economy? What does it mean? It means that with a cryptocurrency, you can make a smart currency. It knows where it can go. It knows where it cannot go. It cannot go in the slaughterhouse. It cannot go in the dairy farm. It cannot go in the hands of the butcher because in unlike a conventional currency, uh, conventional currency can go anywhere. It doesn't have any intelligence in it. I can spend my dollar to the local you know, organic food farm, but I can also spend it for um, sexual tourism in Bangkok or anywhere else, or buying guns or drugs, or, or just buying meat you know, mm-hmm. and, and supporting the dairy industry. It doesn't know that dollar or that yen or rupee. But a cryptocurrency, I can put the rules, the social rules, the, the game that we want to play. I can make it smart. So it knows where it can go or not go among the players in the economic system. And that makes it a complete game changer because now having the power to design those things, it means we have the power to design currencies at a local scale and a global scale.
1: I want to ask a question for for those of us who kind of need a picture painted. Mm-hmm. We just like we summarize Dr. Rao's very, very complex findings, but explosive findings. <coughs> Um, how would you give us an example of how it would work? So somebody signs on to a cryptocurrency, mm-hmm. maybe it's on their phone, just like all, a lot of the other cryptocurrencies. You, it's digital, obviously. So they want to go and buy. Just give us a sense of how it would work. Give us an illustration.
5: Sure. And we have this coming, for instance, with um, a uh, young organization called Vegan Nation starting in Israel but having a global project. And we'll see it also with Dr. Silas Rao uh, working on the Aquarius currency. So how will it work? Well, you download an app first and then you see uh, what kind of businesses you have around and also your community that you that you have around. Who do you want to play with? So... For instance, um, you may want to the local restaurant, the local vegan restaurant, and this local vegan restaurant at the beginning may say, okay, you can pay me, let's say, 80% in conventional currency dollars or euros or whatever, and now give me 20% of this vegan currency because I know those 20%. I can also spend them, give them to my employees who also likely as vegans may want to go to the local organic food market and buy also vegan food who will also accept those things. So we want to create those, you know, circular uh, I- local economies first, but that can also percolate and become global very quickly. That must not least, um, for many people, you know, becoming vegan, they think it will cost them... Uh, you know, more money. Mostly because if they want to, to keep up to the uh, old lifestyle, like, you know, replace meat with plant-based meat and old processed food, it may cost a little more. But we also can think of uh, community food as well. What if, you know, when I make a delicious vegan meal for myself in my town, my hometown, I say, okay, I'll make not one portion for myself, but let's say three portions. And then I make this available uh, for my local community, for whoever wants to pick up this, uh, this food and pay me, if I want to do it in the market economy, and pay me with a vegan currency. And so, you see, we have so many ways to activate with those apps that we can install on our, on our smartphone and, and computers to first you know, spot the local players, the local economic players, and not necessarily just the 100% vegan one. You can have also the local restaurant, the restaurant that has uh, vegan, vegan options, or you have you know, someone having a conventional diet, but they say, hey, I want to go a little more vegan in my life. And I want to learn how to cook, or I want to uh, learn how to dress myself also in an ethical way and not kill animals and all those things. And so you know, the mutual teaching and the mutual share, uh, care that people can give also can activate a local vegan economy. So the only thing that we need to do two things actually. First, we need to create apps where we can build our digital self. That means how do I exist online and that means, online means locally and globally, as, the, as a digital person, and how can I find other digital selves? So, if I can find someone else, then I can flow a new economy there. Mm-hmm. And second, we want to build those cryptocurrencies because they have intelligence in them. They have the social project that we want to have in them.
1: Okay, we got so many calls. Uh, let's go to, is Dave Rutan still on? Either Dave. Okay, go ahead.
2: Dave, Dave San Diego, Dave, is
1: on. Okay, what's your question?
2: Okay, so I just wanted to add something and ask a question. Um, I wanted to add, you were talking about the UNFAO before, and that's the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization, and they calculate the, um, when they calculate the carbon footprint of, of biofuels, they use land use change, and somehow they don't use land use change when they're doing animal agriculture.
1: And Dave, my I'm going to jump in to just ask you to make a short question because we are also live on Facebook and they can't hear you on Facebook. So just jump right to the question. Thank you, dear.
2: Okay. So my question is, is that the, uh, the white paper has only been out for a couple weeks, a week, and I wanted to see how the rest of us could help you get it distributed and get it peer reviewed as soon as possible um, so that we can get this information out there.
1: Excellent question, Dr. Rao. Uh, Dave from San Diego wants to know, how can we get this out to the world, especially when the major newspapers and networks do not want to cover animal agriculture at all because they're advertiser-based?
2: Yeah, so we have the white, white paper on our website, climatehealers.org, um, so you just look, click on the white paper tab and you'll find it, and you can download a, a PDF as well, so you can print it and give copies to people. So so both the PDF and the white paper are available for free on our website.
1: Yeah, and, you know, it's going to require a campaign. We have a box of the white papers. We're going to the climate strike. Greta Thunberg is going to be at L.A. City Hall this Friday at noon calling all vegans with their signs. Remember, they can't tell if you're vegan, even though you're smarter and more attractive. No, it's a joke. But they can't tell that you're vegan if you don't have a vegan sign. So we have some vegan signs here we could show on Facebook Live. These are of signs that you can take to this Friday. Greta Thunberg is going to be at Los Angeles City Hall. Get there at 11, because all the news stations go live at noon. And if you get there at 12.15, you're going to miss it. And so you want to get in position, bring your vegan signs, we're going to be distributing this, and we're going to be attempting to get this pamphlet with the white paper to Greta Thunberg. Now, based on my past experiences, that's going to be very difficult. It's going to be trying to, like, get across the five-yard line at the Super Bowl when you're not a football player. But um, we're going to do our best to try to get this crucial information to Greta Thunberg because essentially what's happening now is they're pointing at the wrong suspect. They're saying fossil fuels, that means oil and gas, so nobody really has to worry. Oh, yeah, fly less, drive less, drive an electric car, but those things are much easier to accomplish than switching your diet. What what we need to get people to focus on is switching their diet eliminating, reducing and eliminating meat and dairy from their diet. So um, uh, that is a tall order because basically a large portion of the population is brainwashed. And one of the key things about being brainwashed is you don't know you're brainwashed. So people cite their culture, they cite uh, the convenience, they cite a million reasons why they can't make this switch, not knowing that essentially they've been hijacked, their brain has been hijacked by... Uh, those who control the substance, and I always use alcoholism as a, as a parallel because I'm a recovering alcoholic with 24 years of sobriety. And when people, my only my true friends would tell me I had a problem back in the day, uh, only my true friends would tell me I had a problem back in the day. But if anybody tried to talk to me about not drinking, I'd give them the evil eye and, I, you know, basically say, buzz off, you know, it's, it's not your life. And it's a choice and all the things that they say about eating meat. Well, then I hit bottom and then I had a moment of clarity and I realized I'm being self-destructive. So how do we get the average person in America and the world to have a moment of clarity and hit bottom on meat? Um, It has to be a shock. And I'll give one more analogy and then we're going to go to two other incredible guests. Uh, I had this persistent cough and I went to the doctor and he sat me down. He started asking me about smoking. And he said, uh, how many years did you smoke? Did you smoke? And he was very rude, which I think was all part of his scare tactic. And then he did some kind of, they put me through some gizmo, and I came out the other side, and and it was late in the afternoon. I'll never forget, he came back and he said, this was at a top hospital in L.A. And he said, congratulations, you're the only person today that I have not said you have cancer to. So it turned out I just have acid reflux and I needed to drink a little aloe and uh, w- uh, uh, cider vinegar to uh, clear up the acid reflux. It was nothing. But he scared the wits out of me. And while I was waiting in that room, wondering do I have cancer or not, I started reviewing my stupid behavior. Stupid behavior of being, you know, a typical teenager, smoking and drinking, and thinking I was cool, and then I would have to pay this price of dying, Right. And, and he did it all intentionally to scare the wits out of me. So it was great. I, I think he, he was a great doctor because he was really confronting me with my behavior and the consequences of my behavior. We need to confront people with the consequences of their behavior. And the best way is to say 87% of greenhouse gas emissions are caused by animal agriculture. And if you don't stop eating meat... I, a.k.a. smoking, you're going to die. We're all going to die. It is very possible for life to become too hot on this planet to sustain human life. We're sitting here in Arizona right now in air conditioning. It gets extraordinarily hot in Arizona. Dr. Rao, you were telling me, or I read somewhere, that in India it's hit like something like 140 degrees.
2: Right. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's getting horrible everywhere. You know, and so this is why we have to take action as quickly as possible.
1: Yeah, I mean, we have to take action. Now, we have two of my heroes here, Nadia and Will Tucker. They have turned Mesa, Arizona into a vegan mecca. Can you get a little closer, um, uh, Keegan, so we can get some really good sound there? We want to get as close as possible. Uh, Tell us how you have turned Mesa, Arizona into a vegan mecca and then move the mic each time you guys talk. We
4: started a really fun monthly event in downtown Mesa called Zen Nights Block Party by uh, Zen Nights Inc. It has been going strong for two and a half years. We were able to grow that to downtown Phoenix for first Fridays and for that event we call it V Street. And uh, so that's happening this Friday night. Wait, wait, tell us about that. That's happening in Phoenix, Arizona. Phoenix, Arizona, downtown. It's uh, it's during uh, First Friday Art Walk, which is put on by Roosevelt Row, CDC. And that event gets about twenty to 30,000 attendees per month. It is absolutely amazing. We were able to get one of the streets and, and call one of the streets simply V Street. And... Um, that came about because I would attend, and I wouldn't get any kind of um, regular v- uh, v- vegan food attendees there. And so I said, well, hey, I've got, I've got some food vendors that I know. Why not take over one of the streets? And Woo! we're lucky enough Woo! that they allowed us to do <laughs> wow.
3: that. Now, Will Tucker... <laughs>
1: Um, I'm not going to ask you to take your shirt off because you are. Now move the whole thing, not Uh-oh. from there. Yeah. Okay. So, Will Tucker, um, you are um, a trainer. Tell us what you do to help create this vegan world. My part is simple.
5: I support Nadia and all her efforts that she does um, with her organization, Zen Knights Incorporated. It's a 501c3 nonprofit, by the way. My role is um, through fitness. I, I approach people, what I say is the most selfish way to get through to people because everybody wants to feel better. They may not do it for the animals, they may not do it for the environment, they might not recognize 87%, but if you say I can make you feel better by eliminating animal products, that's how I usually get through to them. And that's what I do at my fitness studio, Will Tucker Fitness here in Mesa, Arizona. So that's my contribution to it.
1: And I just loved how you made the vegan nights, uh, the Zen nights, I loved how you made the Zen nights that we attended in Mesa, so fun. There was a Halloween costume, and we actually have the winner here in the, in the studio, and we call her Truth, because she came as this Halloween costume, and I'll describe it for those listening. Her sign says, the Amazon is on fire due to cattle farming. The Amazon is on fire due to cattle farming, which is true, and I actually called her the naked truth because she was wearing short shorts, and when she held the sign, it looked like she was naked holding (laughs) the sign, and I guess that the combination made her the winner of the Zen Nights uh, Halloween costume party. And uh, then, will you cleverly said, the truth always wins in the end. always, and so, you know, we're we're doing everything we can. We are just literally doing, and thank you, Kim Delgado, Queen is here. Kim Delgado King. I call her Kim Delgado Queen. She's here taking photos for us. This is a team effort. In fact, when we arrive at Voice America, they always say it's like a clown car because twenty people fall out of the car. But we're doing everything we can, like, we're hitting every point that we can, but we need other people to get involved. Now, um, I think we have, um, wow, we've got so many callers. This is amazing. Um, can we, is Our Mighty still on? Uh, okay, we've got Our Mighty. Okay, yeah, Our Mighty, if you can do a quick question, because we can't hear you on the, on the uh, unfortunately, on the Facebook. Okay, uh, I'm in Malibu,
4: and we have high winds, uh, the Santa Ana winds. There are some fire weather advisories going out. We had some road closures earlier. I'm just wondering what uh, your advice is for people suffering from um, the fire weather this season.
1: Yeah, I mean, thank you. And thanks, good, smart move by Paige. She put up the <laughs> headsets and we heard it. Okay, so, um, you know, we're our house is on fire, as um, Greta Thunberg says. But the problem is, we're looking at the wrong accelerant. It's literally like a fire investigators. You know, and I used to go to fires all the time when I was a local news reporter. And the first thing you think is, is this accidental fire or is it intentionally set? And then if so, what are the accelerants? So essentially, think about it. Our house is on fire and we're saying the accelerant is fossil fuels, but the accelerant is methane. Methane comes from animal agriculture. In other words, eating animals, eating meat and dairy. And fossil fuels comes from oil and gas i'm sorry oil and coal now correct me if i'm wrong and so what we're saying is stop the oil and coal to put out the fire when in fact what's going to put out the fire is stop eating the meat and it's that simple really when you boil it all down it's that simple dr rao um tell me if i said anything wrong and explain you know elaborate on that
2: no, that's correct. Um, but, but also, we need to eventually get rid of the fossil fuels as well because you can't keep burning them, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, first, you need to get rid of the meat. That is the first step. Once, you get, once we get rid of the meat, then as we suck the CO2 down by bringing back the forest, then you can start getting rid of the fossil fuels because then, you know, the cooling effect of the fossil fuels, uh, otherwise, it will cause heating. More yes. Reading. Yeah.
1: And so that's absolutely extraordinary. Uh, Sky, Las Vegas, a quick question.
0: Oh, my gosh. It's so nice to talk to you, especially about the fires, because that's a huge concern right now. Um, now, I'm wondering, do you think that we should be targeting other states that are, you know, really pro-raising animals for agriculture instead of just preaching to the choir?
3: Because California is growing quickly in a vegan movement. And so is
0: Nevada, but places like Utah, you know, you you're still look like you're crazy for being vegan.
1: Thank you, Sky. Yeah, Sky's saying basically California, Nevada, um, are going vegan. But you're in Nevada, Sky. We're not in California. We're in Arizona, and it seems to be going vegan pretty. We went to a non-vegan restaurant yeah. yesterday for. For time reasons we popped in and they had an entire vegan menu. What was it called? We want to give them a shout out. Mm. Pita, Pita jungle. jungle. What? Oh, Pita Jungle. Peta Jungle. Oh, Let's
3: give a Pita shout jungle. out. Yeah. It was
1: delicious food, Pita Jungle. We give them a shout out. We have to reward Pita. restaurants that are had an entire vegan menu. And I said this is how the world's changing. It's you know, it's a process, not an event. We're not going to just go like this. Okay, we're all vegan. It's a process. And one of the great parts of the process is non-vegan restaurants becoming more vegan-ish. And we're seeing that all over the place. So I want to get one more caller in. She's been waiting a long time. Elizabeth Chicago, I hope you're still there. Your your question or thought, Elizabeth? Yes.
0: Yes. Quick question. So for many people in the Midwest, maybe they're not seeing the fires on the West Coast, but something that does affect them today, just like the fires are affecting people in California today, is that it's very expensive to be sick. And uh, Dr. Kim Williams, who is the cardiac head of Rush Medical Center here in Chicago, says that 97% of Americans are heart unhealthy and that we're breaking our healthcare system. I wonder if you could talk about some of the health costs for people that they're experiencing right now.
1: Yeah, that's incredible. And Elizabeth from Chicago raises an incredible point. Dr. Rao, you know, people go, well, this is so expensive. And it's like, they, it's very scary. Oh, we're going to have a whole new system and a cryptocurrency. What they don't realize is we're going to save tons of money when people aren't sick. Your tax dollars are going. Healthcare is a huge Portion of what the government spends its tax dollars on. If everybody got healthy, we would have a lot more money in our pocket. Ditto for not subsidizing meat and dairy products. They are taking our tax dollars and they are using it to subsidize this industry that kills billions of animals without your permission, without your approval. It's the opposite of free enterprise.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you nailed it. You know, this is really what's going on because we have a system in which... Every industry wants to grow, so every industry you know, has this motivation to grow because that's the only way they'll survive. And so, if the industry has been growing by selling diabetes medication, they want to sell more. If they've been, you know, selling heart disease medication, they want to sell more. So this is really why, uh, you know, we are in this system that's destroying the planet.
1: We have another caller. Poor Dave Rutan has waited so long. Dave, I'm sorry. I apologize. Your question or thought.
5: Uh, Yeah, uh, you guys are uh, like on uh, environmental stuff, like uh, class 301 graduate studies thing. But a lot of times I just have a simple question thrown back at me, which is, oh, you got a study that shows that animal agriculture is a big part or whatever is a big part. But I've got another study that that shows that this is just a natural cycle of, of the earth's warming and cooling kind of thing. And they refuse to even start to believe that there is a problem. What would you say to that?
1: Okay, great. It's a question about climate change deniers that cite their own studies that say, no matter what you say and what your citations are, we're not going to believe you. We've we have another belief system.
2: Yeah, I mean, ultimately, we have to either uh, we are a society based on science and the truth, or we are based on, or uh, we are a society based on just myths and you know illogic. So we have to choose whether we are a society based on science and the truth or not. The science says global warming is caused by greenhouse gases. I mean, greenhouse gases do heat up the Earth. We know that. If you removed all the CO2 from the atmosphere today, the Earth's temperature will be uh, like zero degrees Fahrenheit. So that's how. Say much, that
1: again. That's interesting. So if
2: you took. So we have about 410 parts per million of uh, CO2 in the atmosphere. So for every million molecules, there are 410 molecules that are carbon dioxide. And if you just magically removed all the CO2 from the atmosphere, of course, all life will die because trees won't have anything to breathe. They won't have anything to grow. But the temperature of the Earth will go down to zero degrees because that's how much greenhouse effect is caused by the CO2. So we know that science. We know, I mean, this has been established for hundreds of years, this science of greenhouse gases and um, how the Earth is as warm as it is so for all life to thrive. So either we have an explanation for why the earth is the way it is, or we don't, you know. I mean, we have to believe the science or not believe the science.
1: I, I, yeah. I, you know, it strikes me like I like to watch documentaries <laughs> that are, you know, not super serious sometimes. But, you know, you, you, I was watching this documentary about uh, mythology. And the people in ancient times believed that the, these mythological figures existed. But they didn't. But they believed that. And they would do all sorts of things, including animal sacrifice, to uh, pay homage to these these um, gods and goddesses that had all sorts of great storylines and they were doing all sorts of mischievous, terrible things. Actually, I was kind of shocked at how... <laughs> Promiscuous some of these gods were and all sorts of other things. But, I, I, you know, you kind of think about it and think, oh, God, that's childish. Wow, people were so silly back in back in the day, right? I mean, they were like children, but we're like children. I mean, if science is showing that we're going to all die because the Earth is going to become too hot in whatever, whether it's you believe 10 or whether you believe 20 or whether you believe 30, it's still a blink of the eye in geologic time. I mean, we are literally killing ourselves. It's just a question of how quickly we are. It kind of reminds me of when I drank. You know, if I if I could die tomorrow, I could have gotten in a car and driven the wrong way on the freeway if I was in a blackout. Um, so you're you're playing Russian roulette with everybody's life, and yet there's this inability or. Just denial that's so extreme that nobody, that that a large number of people don't want to talk about it. But we're breaking through the dam. And one thing, you know, I just read this book, Catch and Kill, which is so brilliant. And it shows you how the news media... It was written by Ronan Farrow about the suppression of the story about Harvey Weinstein. And there's other characters as well. The very famous ones will come to mind. Perhaps the most famous person in the world. Blah, blah, blah. The point is that he was showing how the news media... Works to suppress information, and it's a it's a master's course in exactly how the news media operates to suppress information, and uh, it's shocking. It's truly a shocking. Like you're like reading, and you're like, oh, what spies? You know, people who worked in intelligence. It's just like a spy novel. But this is happening. This is happening, and it's happening. Also, not just to suppress sexual misconduct it's happening to suppress animal agriculture's impact on climate change because there's so much money behind it so much money behind it and we, we already know that they create entire phony um nonprofit organizations to go after animal rights groups like PETA because PETA is so effective and uh they do all sorts of shenanigans to to uh, I remember I go to I went to um a uh a gala for an animal rights group, and there were people holding signs, you know, PETA kills. And I said, well, tell me your, tell me the issue. Explain to me. They had no clue. Why? Because they're being paid by the hour. You know, they had no clue what they were holding the sign about because they're being paid to hold that sign. So, you know, we, we forget that people can get really, really um, devious and um, deceitful. Let's face it, if you're capable of killing 70 billion people, innocent animals every year and most of us certainly i think would never be able to kill one animal uh that's what i said last night i was talking to usc uh sorry asu arizona state university and i asked the kids in the room okay if we brought a pig in and we handed you a knife how many would you be able how many of you would be able to slit that pig's throat of course nobody raised their hand but a but an industry that's capable of killing 70 billion of these animals and putting them on assembly lines and crunching up all the male baby chicks for, for eggs because we don't need males because they don't produce eggs. They're capable of anything. Anything. So we have to really start thinking. People have to start thinking for themselves. They have to start thinking for themselves. So final thoughts as we wrap this up. And I want to give a shout out to Paige Parsons Roach. Behind the camera on Facebook Live. Always doing an incredible job. And also Kim Delgado King taking photographs. We've got the amazing, I call her Vegan Truth. What's your name Frankie? Frankie Madison. Frankie Madison and it's her 21st birthday today. So, uh, what an amazing activist, and as well as we've got Sarah Siegel, who has been moderating. She's incredible, Um, getting all the callers in and letting everybody know where to go. Where do we go to see the white paper? Okay, yes, just go to climatechange.org and uh, forward slash white paper, and now... Look at all the other people who have just come in. I think we've only got two minutes. So maybe BJ, would you hop out and we could let Dave um, I mean um, Jamal? Jamin. Jamin. Jamin, sorry. Jamin, pop down and we'll ask you a question. Uh, we've got we've only got a couple of minutes. So Jamin, just tell us uh what what, are, what how do you how do you work into all of this?
4: Right. So we are developing a vegan collective intelligence a planetary collective intelligence there's whatever 15 of us here in this room there are how many vegans in the world millions hundreds millions millions. hundreds of millions okay we need to come together vegans of the world unite we need to come together and bring our minds our hearts our wisdom our intelligence our creativity because collectively, we can create a planetary vegan brain of vegan collective intelligence to come up with all the solutions that we need marketing solutions, political solutions, cultural transformation solutions, art solutions, you name it. So, join. yeah.
1: Yes. Yeah. That's all right. <laughs> yes, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I love it. And and you're involved. We were all here. One thing we didn't even get to talking about is Vegan World 2026, and that's why we're all here. So you, everybody, we want everybody to be involved. Um, everybody in the world can be involved. Um, you know, like they say, the only requirement is a desire to, and the only requirement is a desire to save the planet, save animals, save your own health. Get involved. You know, you don't have to be 100% vegan to get involved. That, people get scared by that word. If you're plant-based, get involved. We're on the journey. We're all on the journey. Nobody does anything 100% perfectly. Uh, and, you know, I wasn't born vegan, so um, we're all learning as we go. Um, so we just really, really, really invite you to get involved, and you can go to climatehealers.org. Climatehealers.org. Also watch Countdown to Year Zero. It's on Amazon Prime, and it explains Dr. Rao's work. Countdown to Year Zero on Amazon Prime. Free to Amazon Prime members, 99 cents for everybody else. Thank you so much. Woo!